0: chapter. I was on staff with a pastor years ago now, and uh, we were in a staff meeting, and we were talking about how difficult it is in a lot of churches to get anything done during the summertime. And the reason for that is because church people go on vacation. And so the staff is still there trying to make things happen, unless they're a youth minister and they get to go to youth camp and relax for a week. (laughs) And um, so we were talking about all of that and uh, I, I want to take the idea of vacation. I, I learned because of those conversations to kind of twist my perspective because the reality is people need to go on vacation. There's a certain amount of biblical precedent for that, I think, to withdraw a little bit from time to time and recharge and also uh, I'm happy for you to go. But what I enjoy is when you let me share on your vacation a little bit. And so I get to hear stories and I get to see pictures and, you know, one of our deacons is... Been out in uh, Lake Tahoe this week. Don't know what he's doing, but I hope he's going to tithe on it. Um, Just kidding. They're kayaking on the lake, so it's all good, okay? Um, But my point is that uh, I enjoy getting to kind of vicariously go on vacation with you, uh, listening to you talk and seeing your pictures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I want you to take that whole vacation idea... And let's pull into that a little bit of a spiritual point of reference this morning. When you go on vacation, one of the things that you have to do is you have to figure out what it is you're going to take with you. Now, you may be like a guy that some of you, some of you would know doesn't attend church here as a rule, but uh, this guy is talking about to me going about going to Europe on several different trips, and all he takes is one of these backpacks, like your child would take to school with them, just a small backpack, and he goes to Europe for days, weeks at a time. I'm thinking I don't want to sit next to him on an airplane because you know he can't smell good after a long time in Europe with no extra clothes. What do you take with you when you go on vacation? How do you decide what you take with you? Well, part of what I want you to hear from that as we move it into a spiritual context today is... When you go on vacation, there are things that you inherently take with you that are part of who you are. And when you step off of the airplane or out of your car and you're in one of those foreign countries like New Mexico or Oklahoma, there is a certain part of East Texas you that jumps out of your mouth as soon as you open your mouth. You know what I mean by that? No matter where you go, you have accents, you have ways of thinking, you have points of dealing with people. This was difficult for me when we moved to New Mexico because I grew up uh, in Texas. And in Texas, we're just friendly because we're great people. We think everybody's a great people. That's not true in New Mexico. You know, I start, I'd be, just be talking to somebody in a restaurant or at a grocery store or whatever. I just start, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? And I get this accusing look like somehow I'm trying to steal their wallet or something. (laughs) There are parts of you that you take with you wherever you go. I want you to hang on to that because today we're in now the fourth installment of our review of who we are as a church. And as we look at who we are and we consider our purpose here, uh, I, I wanted to just kind of set in on us that these need to be so much a part of who we are that no matter what we do, we're about these things. In other words, that these things just jump out of us no matter where we are or what we're doing. So in Luke chapter 10, we find good basis for this Fourth statement of purpose. Now, I'm going to read the statement of purpose for us off of our Constitution. I'm going to come to Scripture in just a second, but I want to set the table for us on what we're talking about today. Our Constitution says that we quote our purpose to be the promotion and advancement of Christ's ministry throughout the earth. That sounds good. It even sounds kind of theological. We boil it down into that bumper sticker approach that we could just kind of nail it down so we could carry it with us and we don't have to remember all of those words. We just have these points of purpose where we start them all with an E and so this one we call extending Christ's ministry. But what does that mean really? Let me say it this way. Being a Christ follower means that we must move out into enemy-held territory. I want to to let that kind of hover out there a little bit. And in order to really understand that statement, let me come back and make sure that we understand how often in churches we approach this whole concept. You heard of the old statement that says, we circle our wagons. It comes from the old cowboy and Indian days or at least the movies where we would watch and and this wagon train is headed from points east to points west in the United States and they get out into Indian held territory and they get out there and it's all of a sudden dangerous and these Indians are going to come and they start making this raid on the wagon train and the wagon train then circles the wagons and everybody gets inside of that and they're shooting underneath it and through the wheels and all that kind of stuff. It is a way of saying that we are going to solidify our Base, we're going to retract behind the walls, and we're going to do what we do from inside a safe place. That is the picture of many churches in our world today, especially in America. It is such a perspective that says it's the world against us. Now, some would even go so far as to say it's us against the world. And so we circle our wagons and we build walls and we hide behind them and we throw hand grenades over the top hoping that we can somehow get a few of the bad people out there. And I I know that's not us and I'm not accusing necessarily anybody other than just reading the signs of our Christian society in America today. It's very defensive. The problem with that is that Jesus will have none of that. Nowhere in Scripture will you find it acceptable for God's people to be about the business of circling the wagons and building a safe haven. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes a comment here in Luke chapter 10. Now, I guess as I go to read this, I could go backwards and pull in all of chapter 9. I don't want to do that, so let me just pull chapter 9 and say it this way. Jesus gets really serious about what it means to be one of his followers. Chapter 9 is tough. He certainly rules out the opportunity for easy believism. And so in chapter 10, verse 1, it builds on chapter 9 when it says, Luke says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. It's a road trip for these disciples. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I'm going to stop reading for just a second and pull that together this way to say this. Most of us and most of our Baptist community would say of those few verses, yes, go get them, Jesus. We will gladly pray that God would send somebody out there to those dirty heathens. We've even created, in some circles, some of these super saints called missionaries that we pay to go do that. By the way, they're not super. They might be saints. And some of them don't get paid. But Jesus will have none of that thinking from us that says we'll send somebody else. So in verse 3, he says, no, Jesus gets weird now. It's not that he's weird. It's just that our normal is so weird that we think he's weird. Here's what he says. Verse 3, go your way. Behold, I am sending you. Wait a minute. Time out. You just told us to pray for somebody else to have to be sent. And Jesus says, somebody else is being sent. You're the somebody else. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Do you hear that? Do you hear any circle? Your wagons in that? carry no money back Okay I want you to remember back to your vacation thing how, how long do you plan the financial aspects of those trips How long and how hard do you work to get all of the ducks in a row in your business and in your family before you leave so that when you get away you can just enjoy being away. So Jesus now talks to them about how to go about it. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first say peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. In other words, some people are going to accept you and some won't. And remain in the house, in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. That's a curse of sorts. Nevertheless, know this, Jesus says, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So as we come to this idea of us going out into the world, to break out of our nice, safe little environment that we create and call church, as we step out of that little antiseptic environment, or at least we think it is, we step out into a dangerous world full of Ebola viruses and the people who carry them. And Jesus says, that's just how it is. This passage, these 12 verses, uh, hang on verse 9. Verse 9 is the central part of this as it relates to the message of what's being said. And in it, Jesus gives these guys what their content of message and activity is to be for this road trip that he sends them on. After he's talked to them in chapter 9 about what it means to be a disciple and how we must just totally... Step out of ourselves and surrender to Him. Then He says, Now I'm going to send you out into this dangerous environment as sheep where the wolves are. And as you go, do two things, two different imperatives. The commands that are in verse 9 drive the whole thing. As you go, first of all, heal them. I always like to say heal in a Baptist church and watch people go, Oh my goodness, He's going all charismatic. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit because it's clearly a huge part. Matter of fact, by positioning in the sentence, it's the main thing that Jesus is saying here. I know that that gets all over us in our nice little neat little Baptist don't be charismatic world. At least we got to deal with it, so we'll deal with that if I have time. Maybe I'll see to it that I don't. And the second command that he gives in this verse is to tell. And particularly to tell them about the kingdom of God. Well, it's not really about the kingdom of God that they're they're supposed to tell them. Let me read verse 9 again. Heal the sick in it, that is in the house that you're going to be standing in and in that town. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And I think it's important that we stop and make sure that we totally grasp this idea of the kingdom of God. Because two points of error, I think, in the way we normally talk about the kingdom of God need to be set straight. And neither one of them by themselves are wrong. Uh, Well, let me say it that way. That's not the way to say that. Neither one of them in and of themselves are wrong. It's just that they're not fully right either. One of the ways that we refer to or think about the kingdom of God when we see it like this is to think that it's the place we call heaven. And that's true enough. Uh, we We could make that argument from Scripture that the kingdom of God is a place, but it's not just that. As a matter of fact, we come to talk about how Jesus uses this phrase. In Matthew's gospel, it's interchangeably with the kingdom of heaven. But the way Jesus talks about it, he he most of the time he's not talking about the place called heaven. So another way that we misuse it sometimes, we just talk about it as salvation, as if it's the entryway into salvation. And so the kingdom of God is here, which means you need to get saved or you got saved. So in other words, we put it on either end of the spectrum. And so we think kingdom of God is salvation, the entry into it, or it's heaven, and that's the exit from this life. But more often than not, when Jesus uses this in Scripture, he's talking about the place in the middle or even what leads into the salvation experience in and of itself. So the, when we find this term here, Jesus says, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near, really what he's referring to is the sum total of life with Christ. It's the sum total of the experience that we have when we come to know Jesus as our Savior and everything that he brings with him. That might need to be explained a little bit, so let me see if I can do that that will help us out a little bit. The kingdom of God is not a place. It's more than that. It's the quality of life that grows out of walking With Jesus, And so now what I want you to see is how the previous three weeks in this series begin now to feed into this one point of our purpose. As we go out and tell people about Christ, this was last week's sermon, part of what we do is we bring with us that worship that was the first in the series. And we also bring with us that ongoing life development as a disciple that we had that was two weeks ago. And so that charges the salvation message that we bring. We come as experiencers, not just people with a good argument. But now, this is different. This is not a point of salvation. If you'll notice what happens here in this passage, Jesus sends these guys out and he says, Go do this and you tell them, Repent. No, he doesn't say repent, does he? This is not about salvation for them in and of itself the way we normally think about it. Jesus is saying to them, you go out there and tell them that the kingdom of God, the benefits of God's reign is available to you. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 10. You should know that by now. I quote it fairly regularly. The thief comes. and By the way, the thief there is referring to Satan The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I want to go to the butt part of that, the back half of that uh, in just a second, but let's stop there for just a second. How successful is Satan at stealing, killing, and destroying in the world this day? You look around you. Let me just encourage you to look at the people you work with. Now, unless you work in a church office, and even then, you just never know. people that you work with out in the world are living testimonies of how good Satan is at stealing, killing, and destroying. That's the world we live in. If that's not enough for you, just flip on the news and watch the stealing, killing, and destroying that goes on at high levels. Maybe you should just look next door. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he's good at what he does. Fortunately, Jesus did not insert a period at the end of that statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I have come so that you may have life. Okay, now I'm going to step out of the Greek or out of the English translation give you my version of the Greek translation. The English translation is abundant. I have come that you may have life, life abundant. All right? Road trammel translation for the day is, I have come that you may have life that will blow your mind. You know anybody in your circle who doesn't have that kind of life? You know anybody in your circle who is more consistent with the steal, kill, and destroy than they are with the life that Jesus brings? You don't have to look very far. The world in which we live is a living testimony to the ability of Satan to do his job well. It makes no sense when we, his people, circle the wagons and hunker down behind them. It makes no sense. Let me see if I can flesh this out a little bit for you from Scripture. That life that will blow your mind, the abundant life that Jesus promised... Put yourself in the position of Simon Peter. You remember Simon Peter? What did Simon Peter do before he was a follower of Jesus? Anybody remember? Hello? He was a fisherman, okay? Now, most of us who love fishing say to ourselves, what a great gig. Just fish all day long. Let me tell you something. It's different when you fish for a living than it is when you fish to get away from your living, okay? And that's what he did. He was a professional fisherman. And in that moment that Jesus walks along the shore of that sea and says to him and the others, follow me, and what did Jesus say to him? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Think about that for a second. Have you ever had had a moment in your life when you were so locked in to the life that you had chosen that was now starting to wear thin on you, that you thought to yourself, if only I could get out of this. When I start, I hear this a lot with older folks, that's my age and beyond, who reach that point in life when they know that it's just not possible for a career change at this point. It's just not possible. Or maybe it happens as you're in the middle of something and all of a sudden it's taken away and your whole approach to living has to change and you don't know what to do and you think to yourself, ah, if I could only, but I know that I can't. Jesus specializes in turning your future. And in that, psychologically, there is a step that happens for somebody like Simon Peter who's locked in a job that maybe he loves, maybe he doesn't, but somebody comes along and that somebody happens to be the one who is the king of the kingdom of God and he says to you, I'll give you a future you never dreamed of. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. No wonder Simon Peter and those other guys jumped out and left all of it behind. They got a better deal. Anybody in your life that's looking for a better deal with their life? Jesus says, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. Imagine Simon Peter after that calling. That's just one one day of his life. And Jesus turned everything around. And all of a sudden, life was exciting because he went from being stuck in a boat with a bunch of other knucklehead, smelly fishermen... All night long because they fished through the night, most of them. He went from that to following this guy around who had the unique ability to heal people. And so you go from sitting out in a boat all the time with dead, smelly fish, or dying fish at least, all of a sudden now you're walking around with a guy who says to somebody, Yeah, let's use Lazarus, who says to somebody, Hey, I know you're dead, and I know how all of that biological stuff works, but come on out anyway. And Lazarus comes walking out. How do you suppose Simon Peter, you think Simon Peter at that point went, You know, I wish I was fishing today. Simon Peter sat at the feet of Jesus when he said things like, Blessed are the peacemakers. And he just, he took stuff that Simon Peter had probably heard all of his life and somehow he set it in a way that heaven came down into that teaching moment. And life made a little bit more sense. You know anybody who needs that kind of touch in their life? That's just one guy. We could just work our way through the New Testament. Any of these gospels, we could just walk our way through them and see how Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, life changes for those people. The woman with the issue of blood tried everything she possibly could try, spent all of her life savings, and she was totally without hope until she heard about Jesus. So she worms her way through the crowd and shes you know that she's trying to be as discreet as she possibly could. She was the outcast because of her illness, Know anybody like that? She worms her way through the crowd and she just reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment and she's changed just like that. Even if Jesus had never turned around and said anything to her, she was changed. I wonder when she heard that he had said the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy but I have come that you may have life that will blow your mind. You think she might have stood up and testified about that? You see, we, we want to limit these things to those key moments, the entry into the kingdom or the entry into heaven. And we, we try to limit all of this kingdom of God stuff to those high points in our lives. But the reality is that Jesus comes to give life that stretches through the whole part of your life. Which gets me to what he actually says here. Actually, the way our English translation reads in verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Um, that's kind of, a, it's kind of there's a piece of this that's lost that's really important. Two pieces, actually. Actually, he says this um, in a way that the tense of the verb says that the kingdom of heaven has come and the effect of that continues indefinitely. The reason that's good news for us is because if it was just the kingdom of heaven and the person of Jesus has come, then when he leaves town, then we're right back where we started. But that's not how this is written. The kingdom of heaven or God has come and the results of that continue indefinitely. That's good news. That's really good news if you happen to be one who lives and the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And by the way, all of you do. There's another part of this that just trumps it up. It's, it's it's like Jesus gives these commands to us and he knows when he says it, oh, they're going to be chewing on this for decades to come. The, he says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the verb. But then there's a preposition added to it that scholars are still trying to figure out. What do you do with the preposition? Because it's dumped on top of that and it makes no real sense when you translate it literally. So let me translate it literally so you can hear it. The kingdom of God has come near to you upon you. Now here's what I think that means. This is intensely personal. He could have just used the verb and said, the kingdom of God has come near to you and if you happen to be at the right intersection of this little village when Jesus comes through here later, then you'll see the kingdom of God walk through. That's not the way he says it. It is intensely personal. The kingdom of God has come near to you, upon you even. That's good news. Because no matter what you're going through in your life, all of a sudden now, this fits you. I had a conversation this week with a guy, not from this church, not even from this state. This guy is pretty well developed in his spiritual life. I have great respect for his ability to walk with God. And he started telling me the story that could be your story. It's just everybody's story. He's working at this particular business And he operates at a pretty high level in that business. And all of a sudden, he got this boss who was one of those bosses that everybody dreads getting. This person had systematically removed the next layer of management under them. uh, And this person I was talking to was the last one left. And so the boss above started the process of setting them up. And it was one of those things (laughs) where he said everything... That this person said that I was guilty of was trumped up. It was not a bit of it true. And I had proof that it wasn't. But I couldn't do anything about it. And I knew that this person was going after my job. I did not know what I was going to do. So you know what this person did? Of all things, they picked up a Bible and started reading. What does God have to say about this situation? They found themselves in the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, and several chapters in there, and he was telling me where he was reading, uh, there's this ongoing discussion about the wicked and how they take advantage of the righteous and the responsibility of the righteous and how they're supposed to live their life on a day-to-day basis. And this individual said to me, I decided that I was going to do what God told me to do, and if I lost my job, at least I was going to lose it, being what God wanted me to be. <laughs> and then he went on to tell the story of how this boss for reasons that they couldn't even explain themselves, had this huge change of thought about this person. And even though they had gone after the person I was talking to, somehow in the middle of it, they decided, well, maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. Now, that may not happen with you. You may, in fact, lose your job in a situation like that because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's good at what he does. You don't get a free pass, Just because you're a Christian. But God will take you through. And one of the things that comes with the coming of the kingdom of God near upon you. Is that you get wisdom on how to handle the garbage of your life. That's good news for us. And for a world out there. Who doesn't even know him. Let's see if I can pull this down to close it up. This is where the road trip stuff comes in. We get this on our own. We, we have the opportunity, I don't like the way that sounded. We have the opportunity to walk with Christ because we know him because of the salvation we have. We know that we're going to go to be with heaven or with him in heaven at the end. And in the meantime, we know the benefit of walking with Christ. The problem for us is that the people just outside the doors of this church, they don't know that. All they know is that the problems of life that they have are eating their lunch, and they don't know what to do about it. This week, I sat down with a young man, a heroin habit of seven years. Now, this young man knows Jesus as his Savior. The common friend that we had saw to it that this guy had a chance to come to know Jesus. But he still has a heroin habit. He sat down with this fat, bald, old preacher who had a drug habit at one time. And I had the opportunity to say to him, it's tough. But Jesus will not abandon you in this. So I talked to him about what God did with me to helped me through those difficult years of trying to come to grips with how I was living and how I needed to change things like how I was thinking about how I was living and how I was using people in my relationships and all of those kinds of things. And so right there at that spot where he and I were talking, all of a sudden I could see the kingdom of God as it began to make sense to him. Jesus says, you tell them that the kingdom of God has come near upon you. And so into a world full of that kind of person, we step out with a message of hope. Speaking of a message of hope, have you seen the new television show called New York Med? It's one of those reality shows which typically I don't like at all, but this one I like because it's, Life as filmed in the emergency rooms of hospitals in New York City and Newark, New Jersey. Now, in case you don't know it, now we have a New York native with us. Not native, but a a, a resident. And I'm just going to say this even though he's here and I like him a lot. New York is where the weird bomb went off in America. And so when you watch this television show, you're getting these people, these characters off of the streets of New York City as they're going into these highly charged situations and the doctors and medical personnel are dealing with them. It is high drama most of the time. And this past week, we were watching this show. And we were taken with this story of this little girl, maybe two, three years. I don't even remember how old she was. She was young. And her parents and the little girl had a problem with her brain some of her blood vessels in her brain i don't think it was an aneurysm but it was they were just huge they had inflated like a balloons and so they were talking about how they were going to try to save this little girl's life and surgically have to do some things i was taken with the story not so much with her but with the parents what do you tell a parent what if you're the parent And somebody comes to you and it's your child who's having those struggles. What do you say to them? See, as a preacher, I get those kind of problems not quite to that level, but on a fairly regular basis. What do you say when you walk into somebody's hospital room and they've just been told that they have cancer? What do you say? You know what I say? (laughs) I don't have the answers for you, but I know who does. And I want to take you to my Jesus who will give you peace of mind, who will give you Courage beyond your own ability who might even choose to heal you. This part of our statement of purpose to extend the ministry of Christ is beyond just the point of salvation evangelistic visit. This is the part that says as we go about our daily lives we step out into a world that is hurting because of sin. And we take Jesus Christ and all that he brings with him. The world is full of those kind of people that I just talked about. I was one of those kind of people yesterday. I had... You see, sometimes I don't appreciate the way God gets me ready for sermons. (laughs) Teresa and I had to go into town, which means I had to go to the mall. That's always fun. And so after we left them all, we went over to Best Buy, and that usually is fun for me. And so we come out of Best Buy after doing our checking there, and I go in, I sit down, and my car won't start. Now, anyway, long story. But uh, so here I am. I'm waiting for the tow truck to come get my car. And Aaron called Aaron. I said. My wife really needs a ride home. Would you come get her? So they took her home. She got her car and came back. In that time frame, I'm I'm sitting out there, standing out there in the parking lot at Best Buy for about two hours, or more or less that, waiting for the tow truck to come. It was amazing for me to watch people, because I'm standing there and I'm having car trouble. You know what? Some I don't get this. I, I'm you know I'm a nice guy, right? Help me. I'm a nice guy, right? <laughs> So why is it that I'm standing, leaning up against my car, clearly having car trouble, and more than one woman would come walking out next to the cars where I was parking, they would see me and they'd go to the other side and walk around. What is the deal with that? Do I look that? They don't tell me. You know what the deal with that is? We live in a world where people have learned to be cautious about strangers. Don't get in a situation where you might be taken advantage of. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We need the kingdom of God, don't we? And then men came by. Here's, this was the most frustrating part. I was out there for nearly two hours. You know how many men walked by right next to me? They weren't afraid of me. That I get. Not a single one of them offered to help. You know why? Because they got their own deal going. It's a Saturday, man. I don't want to have to deal with somebody. I get that. That's the world we live in. But here's here's what we don't see. Most of the time, the people with car trouble, and in this case, car trouble is in quotation marks, their life is a wreck. You can't tell by looking at them. You walk past them every day, and they need the kingdom of God to come near upon them. But if we're not careful, we just keep right on walking. And Jesus will have none of that. And so he says... To his followers, I'm sending you out there, and it's dangerous, but I'm coming behind you. Hear this from that passage. Every person into which you bump in this week needs you to let them have hope that Jesus is coming. There was an old song many years ago. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care headed who knows where. Jesus says, road trip. Let's pray.